What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mike Zuniga Films Podcast. On this episode, I have with me Cole Walliser. He's a Directors Guild of America director and avid photographer. Cole shares how he made the leap to move from Vancouver, Canada to Los Angeles, California to pursue his passion in filmmaking. Now, as a director in the beauty space, Cole has worked with major talent and brands such as Pink, Katy Perry, CoverGirl, Pantene, and more, as well as directing the Glambot for events such as the Oscars and Grammys. So without further ado, Cole Walliser. This podcast is brought to you by Suave Apparel, which I'm actually wearing right now. If you like listening to music while working out, you probably use an armband to hold your smartphone. I have to admit, I used to wear one, but we both know it eventually gets loose, slides down your arm, and annoys you. But what if I told you there is a better way to hold your smartphone while you work out? Introducing Suave, compression shorts with a side pocket for your smartphone. Now, I've been wearing Suaves for almost two years now, and they are game changers. Designed and made in Los Angeles, California, these are the most comfortable pairs of underwear I've ever worn, hands down. My phone stays secure through any workout without obstructing my movement, and I also wear my Suaves when I'm out on set filming, especially for long days. They stay comfortable, and not to mention, their moisture-wicking technology helps me stay dry as well. So, if you like listening to music on your smartphone while working out, go to www.suaveapparel.com and use promo code Mike for 15% off your next order. That is www.suaveapparel.com and use promo code Mike, M-I-K-E, for 15% off your next order. The link will be down below in the show notes, so you can go check them out. Your workouts will never be the same. How's it going, Cole? It's going good, man. It's going good. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. I always love doing these kinds of things. So, Of cool. course. Of course. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I wanted to get you on because we first met on set for GoDaddy shoot, mm-hmm. and that was pretty fun. Oh, it was a great shoot. I had a blast on that one, yeah. Yeah, so many sets they put up, and I think they, they just released the yeah, yeah, commercial, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, so that was fun. We were, uh, we were shooting behind the scenes mm-hmm. and getting all the footage for that. Um, and we started to talk and I learned more about your story and especially what you're doing, um, as a director. Um, and you know, it got me really interested and I want to learn more about that because your story is very unique, especially because you traveled here from Vancouver. Mm -hmm. That's where you're from. And, you know, um, and you just pretty much built your career up after that. But first, I want to start with the one thing that really gets you going, what you're really interested in, and that's surfing. Oh, yeah. So how'd you definitely. get into that? Surfing, I mean, I, you know, like growing up in Canada, surfing, I mean, well, uh, some places you can surf, but like for the most part, it's not really an option. You know what I mean? And I think like anybody in pop culture has like viewed like the California like lifestyle, like surfing right. and the sun and beaches as like something that would be cool to live, right? Right. Um, and then so, you know, I originally came out to L.A. for filmmaking. And uh, it, and as soon as I moved here, I was kind of like, oh, like surfing now is maybe an option, right? Um, but I didn't have anybody to surf with. I didn't really know anybody. I used to snowboard. I used to skateboard. Mm-hmm. So, like, I was been on a board before. Um, and it took me a few years to really start getting in the water. I, I bought a surfboard and went, like, a couple times. But it wasn't until uh, my friend Brett, who I work with at Channing Tatum's company, started surfing and we would start going together and then we started going like every 
day together before going to the office. And this nice. was maybe like four years ago. So it hasn't been that long, but since then I've moved to the beach and like bought a whole bunch of surfboards, you know, yeah, so I like, see that yeah, surfboards have, everywhere have really sort of like embraced that, uh, that culture. And, and for me, it's like the best, it's the best way to start your day. It's like to be out in the water. It's just like super relaxing. And like, you know, even when I'm out there with some of the friends that I work with, it's like, we're, we're then talking about like ideas and like our meetings and like, you know, we do like informal sort of like work stuff out there cause right. it's super casual. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's no cell phones, there's no crying babies, there's no traffic. So it's like a nice relaxing way to start your day. Yeah. I mean, there's just something about the water that, I don't know. You're just out there and you're going with the flow. Like yeah. you're living in the moment pretty oh, much. Oh yeah. Yeah. When you catch a wave. Yeah. And and that's and that's so it's so good to have that balance cuz I feel like, you know, with filmmaking and being creative and writing you're constantly like conceptualizing like mm-hmm. thinking about like well what about this or what about that or like envisioning some version of the future be it on a job or for your career or for whatever. Uh and so like to have those moments where you are not sort of doing that and and like you said being really present uh is like a a good balance for like your own peaceful well-being you know what i mean right um to just have them to like shut all that stuff out and then just like you know like there's a bomb coming and like you either gotta like go catch the wave (laughs) or like get out of the way there's only one thing you're thinking about right so to be in that moment is like is really refreshing and, and i think valuable and important to to have that balance in, in a in a creative life especially exactly so now i kind of want to get into how you got started you grew up in steveston mm-hmm. yep and that's a suburb in vancouver suburb of vancouver yeah, okay yeah, yeah yeah nice yeah um how'd you like it there oh it was great i mean steveston is a cool little community so you know vancouver is obviously the main city there is a suburb uh named richmond mm-hmm. uh, which is just south of that and then in the corner of richmond is this little town area called steveston mm. and it's like a historic fishing village um and uh just got a super cool vibe they shoot a bunch of stuff there actually because it's got like a heritage street on it got it um and so you know it was just like a small cool little community uh no complaints and it's just a good good upbringing up there i guess i don't know yeah yeah, yeah I, I i've been to uh vancouver when i was younger okay yeah, yeah, yeah. and um because i went out to school in like the seattle area mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's it's pretty similar like oh, yeah, like yeah. Similar just vibe that northwest sure. vibe yeah, yeah. it's awesome it's way different from california yeah. so much greener but yeah. i don't know i i love it up there especially especially the summertime oh it's, like, it's, it's gorgeous great. it does rain a lot in the winter and spring yeah. even fall but summer it's like sunny every day and so it's like it, everybody's out it's really cool because in vancouver in the summer if it's a nice day, it's like literally the entire city is outside because there's two months of sun. So right. it's like everybody just rushes outside. <laughs> and it's like super, just a vibrant community in the summer. Uh-huh. It's great. Exactly. Yeah. So how did you get into like filmmaking and video? Like how did that spark? Come I mean, to be? I, uh, were you always creative? I, I, I think I always sort of like, I, I enjoyed understanding how things work. I remember stories of like my mom coming home and saying I like took apart the telephone in like a million pieces. You know what I mean? I got unscrewed the whole thing. I've always been into like figuring things out. And, you know, I sort of attribute filmmaking to skateboarding. When I was skateboarding, we'd film mm-hmm. each other, um, you know, doing like demo videos or whatever. But I actually think that I started really filming before that and and... The earliest, I mean, my dad had a camera and I used to play with it and we used to film fun stuff, but it was when I was uh, going up to my friend's cabin. So up the coast of British Columbia, my friends had a cabin on a little bay Mm -hmm. and we'd go up there. There'd be like 
eight to ten of us that go up there for a week every summer and we go cliff jumping we'd go wakeboarding we just have like a boys trip or whatever yeah. and his mom had a camera and she would just film us doing stuff and i i started taking all that footage and i'd edit together between two vcrs like a recap video of oh, the whole trip nice and so I started to learn how to like cut stuff together. I started to learn how to like lay in music and then I figured out how to do titles. And then I started like, you know, we would go up there and we would talk about how to get cool shots and I'd film my friends doing stuff. And that I think was really like where, where it started for me a few years later, like kind of around the same time I started filming skateboarding. So I was skateboarding mm-hmm. back then. Um, but that's sort of really how I got a camera in my hands and started learning the idea of what editing was and like how to like make something. Right. And the idea of like making something, like having a thing that didn't exist before that people like enjoyed watching, uh-huh. I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I like making stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that was really the impetus for me to like start this whole thing. Wow. Yeah. Like, basically, you just filmed what you love doing. Totally. You know, hang out with friends, yeah. skateboarding. Yeah. And then you just started creating from there. Pretty yeah. Much, and, right? and like figuring out, like, just really subtly, like, how to make it cool and just even like, how to like, you know, I would make, I would try to like tell a story for the trip. It wasn't just like, you know, it, cause it was easier to just like every day, every day we'd do different stuff. We'd mm-hmm. like go cliff jumping in the morning and then we'd go like skimboarding in the afternoon and then maybe wakeboarding. And then the other day mm-hmm. we'd play golf and then go back to the cliffs. Yeah. Um, so like the easier way would just to be like, take all those moments and just cut them together chronologically. Cause that was the order the tape was mm-hmm. in. But I was like, oh no, you got to do like, this is the cliff jumping section. This is like the golfing section. This is the skimboarding section. Yeah. So I'd I'd like log it all and then I'd have to like go pull out the cool clips from like this area and like go back and forth. And so it was like, it took a lot of, a lot of work, uh-huh. but I was like, I was set on like telling a story and I, I don't think I would, would consciously say like, oh, I'm telling a story, but I was just set on like making it cool and like making it as right. good as I could make it. And I knew that the extra effort was like, would have a better effect. So I was like, okay, it's, I'm, it's worth doing, you know? Yeah. Cause like to you, I'm sure it, it didn't really feel like oh, okay, you know, it's extra work. It's it's something that you... Yeah, I wouldn't say extra work. I knew it would take a long time. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, I'm going to be sitting here for a long time, and uh-huh. it took, like, it would take... It would it would be a lot of work, but definitely worth it. And definitely had fun doing it. Yeah. But, like, I remember one time I was, like, scrambling, because we'd go every year, and I was, like, scrambling in the month or two prior to, like, get it done in time uh-huh. so we can show it at the next thing. I was like, is this really taking me all year to, like, cut this one video? But, <laughs> you know, I was in school. I don't know. Yeah. So speaking of school, um, did you go to film school? I did not. You didn't. So no. you're self-taught. Yeah, self-taught. Um, I, I I did go to university. I have a degree in psychology, mm-hmm. and it was during my university career that I realized that you could actually do filmmaking as a career. You know, um, obviously I knew there were filmmakers, you know, and I knew that was their job, but it didn't really seem possible or plausible in any way mm-hmm. i was just like i don't know that's like hollywood or something like that you know what i mean but then around around that time you know like you know mini dv was becoming more of a thing uh dslrs were not out yet when i first first started mm-hmm. and and there was like a really invigorating independent film thing happening and so i just started learning more about that as a career and as an industry and i was like oh like you can do jobs like filming people and like make media and like that was becoming more of a thing um, and so it was during my time at, in university that I was like focusing on getting better as far as a tangible skill to get jobs. Mm-hmm. And when I made the decision, like, okay, I, I, I want to pursue this full time, at least for a couple years. It wasn't right. like, I was like, oh, I'm going to like be a filmmaker. That's for sure what I'm going to do. 
even though that was like the goal, but I was like, well, let me try it for a couple of years and like see if I can get some work or see if I can make it happen. Um, and then from there it, it became more of a viable thing. So you're just like testing the waters pretty much just to see if this was something. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was a kid in Vancouver that like thought like that, like enjoyed making videos, you know what I mean? And so it wasn't very clear that it was possible, you know? And like, again, there's no YouTube, there's no social media. I mean, there was like Facebook and stuff, but it's not like it was now where like the purpose is generating your own content. You know, it wasn't, that wasn't the vibe back then. Mm -hmm. Right. It was like, make a short film, do a festival, make a spec commercial, like submit it to someone, you know? Mm Um, those are the avenues, but it seems still like, okay, like there's a way maybe, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and so I just was like, okay, well, I'm, this is what I do want to do forever. I I think, uh, so let me just try and see how far I can go. And I just haven't stopped trying, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Just keep going. Yeah, totally. So what would you say was like some of the positives and like pros and cons of being a self-taught filmmaker? Oh, uh, well, I mean, the pros are for sure that, like, I think you learn in a more tangible way. Now, I can't say for sure because I never went to to film school. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was like, you know, it's up to me to do everything. And so I had to learn about everything. And so and also the way you learn is being hands on. So I think that there are benefits from, like, learning all the ins and outs in a classroom or in a textbook or in a lecture or whatever. But, you know, everybody says, like, the experience you gain on set is invaluable. So I am a huge proponent of telling people to, like, just go out and shoot something and, like, figure it out. Mm -hmm. Because, like, if you are in this for the long run, you know, it's like you're going to only get better the more you do stuff. So you might as well just start doing stuff because, like, the thing you do now is, is, you know, only going to be half as good as the thing you do after. It's going to be better and it's going to be better. So it's, like, you're best to just start that progression and improving yourself by doing things. Mm -hmm. Um, cause we can read books all day, you know, yeah. we can watch stuff online all day. Uh, but you really have to get out and, and shoot stuff. The drawback was like, there was huge gaps in knowledge. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. things that I've never done. I knew nothing about, uh-huh. you know what I mean? And so when I was starting to do like direct bigger sets with like bigger crews, I had never done that before. And I didn't really like know a lot of things you know my technical knowledge as far as lighting goes was like very limited at first because like i never you know i never understood just like the different types of lights between fresnels and hmis and like and now leds and like how like how you rig stuff or like even like who was doing what kind of a thing you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like that was all new to me um but so there's like always a little bit of like fake it till you make it kind of a thing yeah you know um but it wasn't, yeah, I, I would say that would be the drawback. I, just like, I, I didn't have a thorough, I, I knew some stuff really well, but I didn't have a thorough knowledge of like everything. Mm-hmm. And then the thing that I understand, uh, from at least from what I understand, is valuable about going to film school is that you make relationships. You build relationships mm-hmm. with industry like insiders that can either mentor or guide you or like just advise you in any type of way. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I've, I've always felt especially early in my career, just like a little on the outside because it was like hard for me to break in. I'm like, yeah, I'm like getting little jobs or getting this little thing or that. But I didn't I didn't know anybody like really doing it. And like everybody I was associated with was sort of like a little bit on the outside. Like, yeah, we were working, but it wasn't like you were like inside. You know what I mean? And so you lack sort of those relationships uh, until you find a way to make them or build them, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's a bit of a drawback, I would say. Um, but, you know, I still think if there's a will, there's a way you figure it out, right? Of course. Yeah. Of course. There's always a way. Yep. So when did you decide to make the move to Los Angeles? 
It was lit. Well, it was, it was funny. I mean, it, what it was like the day I graduated from university. Oh, really? But it was sort of like it was really actually the day it was a that was the day I told my mom I was like I graduated. Yeah. I was like, all right, mom, I'm out. <laughs> but it was like the day that I decided that it I was actually gonna pursue it as a career. So it was like getting a. I was like you know learning how to shoot and edit in college and like getting little jobs here and there. I used to dance as well, so it's like mm-hmm. I do a bunch of dance related stuff. I'd film dance recitals or whatever I could, right? Um, and then, uh, somewhere along the lines, I just sort of was like, okay, it's possible to do this as a career. But I was like, at that time I was like, I have to go to LA. If I really want to do this, I have to be in LA. I have to give myself all the opportunity possible to make it. Cause I know it's already like impossible slash hard enough. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, and there's such a limit in the industry in Vancouver. Like there is a big industry, a big film industry in Vancouver. A lot of productions come up to Vancouver to shoot but they hire all the directors in LA. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. they don't come up to Vancouver and like, let's find a director here. So I knew, I was like, if I want to be a gaffer or a grip or like even a DP, I could stay in Vancouver. But if I want to direct, then I need to be in LA, you know? Yeah. So at that point, I was just like, okay, it's, it's not it's not an option. Like go to, go to the place that gives you all the opportunity that you can get because it's like, I need all the opportunity because it's already so hard, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. So you moved to LA. How was that first day going to LA. Oh, my car broke down before I even got here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Had to tow my car in 300 miles to get to LA. It literally broke down on the five, like in between San Francisco and LA where there's nothing. Like there's just absolutely nothing. My car just like stopped running. I was was lucky enough. I had a friend fly up with me. So I was coming back and forth to LA. I was dating someone in LA at the time. Uh And so that was really, really helpful because I met all of her friends and we like really you know I, I met a good group of people and i think that that's really important when you move to la because it can be kind of a little cold and harsh place mm-hmm. if you don't know anybody so that was really helpful so i made some good friends uh through the dance community over you know a year traveling before i moved and so one of my buddies flew up i flew him up and was like hey like let's road trip down together so we were driving down and it just like kerplunked out we pulled over like wouldn't start towed it to a gas station poured oil in, just like started coming out past our feet we're like that's oh, that's that's no. not all right <laughs> so then we just like piggybacked uh tow truck rides to the back i had a place to live so i just parked it in the back uh-huh. but it took an extra like two days to get the car there oh, so that was like my first that was my first foray into into being in la but then uh-huh. once i landed uh it was just like go time i was just like let me just find any job that i can do and because i knew a lot of dancers and because media was just becoming more deliverable, I, I would cut a lot of people's dance reels. So people would have mm-hmm. footage of them doing jobs and they like need a reel to like get a job. So I'd cut a lot of dance reels for friends. So that was like a thing that sustained me. And then I would dance myself back then. So there'd be like little gigs we would do here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was DJing back then too. So it's like trying to do as much as I could. Um, and, and that was like the only way I really survived because if I wasn't having any like editing jobs there'd be like some dj stuff that was going off or like if if there was no dance stuff i'd have some editing stuff and there's always be like one thing i'd have work at right but i'd saw friends who just danced and arguably like way better than me but like you know like i wasn't the best dancer that's probably why i don't do it anymore you know what i mean but it was like good enough to like do little jobs here and there yeah um they would have times where they would just be super dry and like struggling because there's just be no dance work and i'm like oh i'm djing this spot (laughs) you know like once a week so i'm surviving right that that makes that makes a lot of sense because especially since you're starting out like it's smarter to have your hand in at least a few things that's generating you income yeah you know yeah. while while you're trying to build diversify. yourself up yeah diversify you know? yeah exactly there's pros and cons because i think that i mean 
it was good for me because the the focus was always film. That was always the end goal. But I was just like, I can work as a DJ. I have all the gear. I have everything. You know, I can work as a dancer. I love doing it. I love performing. Um, but, the, you know, it was good for me to keep the end goal as filmmaking. I think it gets a little tricky uh, when you can't figure out what your main thing is. Um, but I would also say it's not necessarily important. It is valuable to spend time like pursuing all of those things 100% to see maybe maybe it is DJing that you want to do full-time or maybe it is dancing that you just want to be on tour. Uh, it, it's valuable to give yourself time to have that end result materialize organically within you. Mm-hmm. I, I would say you're doing a disser- disservice to just pick one and be like, this is going to be it because I'm just, this makes the most sense. Uh, I would, I, you know, filmmaking made the most sense because I felt that it, I was more passionate about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it wasn't like, oh, this is just like the thing I'm better at or the thing that might give me a better career. It, I, I, I had the passion for that more out of the other two. Got it. Uh, yeah. So, but, but it was good to retain that focus in pursuing, in, in everything I was doing was kind of in service of like progressing my film career forward. Yeah. Because you have to have at least some sort of backing to help support that film career, right? I mean, doing all those other things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to pay rent. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> um, and so, and it's tricky. I just met with somebody who was like uh, wanting to intern. Mm-hmm. Uh, yesterday we had coffee and and she was just telling me about you know how her struggle to try to break in and like you know it's tough it was sort of like refreshing i was like oh yeah i remember what that was like that was tough you yeah. know what i mean um but it's like you got to just figure it out one way or the other you know and mm-hmm. we talked a lot about the approach in like you know actually making money but then actually furthering your career and how i feel like it's a little if you can support yourself somehow you're almost better off to do everything you can to like make the best media possible so that your next job is better and your next job is better. Uh, we're just talking about like how much should one get paid uh, mm-hmm. on a job early in your career. Yeah. And I just kind of think it's better to be like, well, use the extra money to like hire a better DP or like get better lights or get better lenses. Cause then it's like, it's going to make your media look good. And if you look like you can produce a $10,000 video, then maybe you can charge $10,000 next time. You know yeah. what I mean? So we sense. talked about that. So, yeah, that that makes sense because, I mean, if if you're doing a project, people watching don't know what the actual budget is. Yeah. yeah. But as long as it looks great, mm-hmm. then, I mean, like you said, always trying to strive for like the next best thing. Yeah. In terms of like your projects and how that looks and yeah. things like that. Yeah, I was always it was a very conscious thing for me that like every job I did. There was some aspect that was like new or better or different or I was like learning one thing in each job. And so I was always striving to like go a little bit more. And and uh, and sometimes if the job was like not didn't have anything sort of like quote unquote unique about it, I would like pitch something that I wanted to learn or I wanted to do to the client or to whoever so I could like so then it could be a job that was like elevating my career you know what I mean like oh I don't have like this kind of a look on my reel or this kind of a thing or I've never done like crazy titles or whatever so like let me pitch that you know like get them on board uh so I can figure out how to do it and then my reel can be just like that much stronger by the end of it all that makes a lot of sense so what was I would say because like you were doing all these you know uh, dance videos, you're cutting them up, and at the same time, you're trying to build your director's reel. Um, what was the first big project that, as a director, 
that you were uh, put upon? Um, I would say, I would say when I had the opportunity to direct the opening video for Pink's tour, uh, her Funhouse tour in 2009, there's an argument to say that it was like these Miley Cyrus dance videos that we did. Mm -hmm. Um, we did like these online dance battle videos in 2008. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With Miley Cyrus and then like the people step up to, uh, and so I directed all of Miley's videos for that. And so like that, that kind of was a thing that like, you know, was an opportunity, but it was still like the reason why I kind of don't count that was that cause it was still just me running around with a camera and it wasn't, and it wasn't like a thing where like, okay, today's the day we're shooting and like we're on set today and we're like doing this thing. It was literally like running around the city, meeting up with these dancers, filming them do a thing. And then like, okay, today's the day that Miley's going to come in and we're going to film her. But mm -hmm. it was just still like a bunch of friends getting together to shoot a dance video, yeah. which was awesome. Yeah. But it didn't necessarily feel like this is a production that like I'm the director and it was a lot of people like collaborating and coming up with cool ideas and like it was just like it was a hot mess of uh -huh. like great fun dance stuff you know what i mean <laughs> right so i just sort of don't necessarily count that as like this opportunity to direct you know what i mean mm -hmm. though there's an argument that it that it was technically but with with pink um i was shooting some behind the scenes for her uh and they had they needed an open opening video for her tour directed and the guy dave myers who directs a lot of her stuff was gonna do it but the budget was really high and they're like we just got to do this for cheap and i was sort of in the mix like a little bit of the right place at the right time and so they asked me if i could do it for x amount of dollars and mm -hmm. i was just like yeah of course i was like i don't i don't know how i'm gonna do it but okay sure right yeah um and so then you know it became this shoot where it's like you know we shot we shot two days and it was a very specific thing and I was the director and we had a little crew and we shot at her house and um, that that then became a substantial thing where I was like, okay, like I directed the opening video of this tour. People know who she is at, at the time. They knew exactly what tour she was doing. And I was like, oh, I did that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that sort of felt more like the substantial first thing. And she took a big chance on me too because it was like I was this kid doing behind the scenes. And like I directed some dance music videos. I did the Miley stuff too, mm -hmm. you know. And so I had some things to show for it. Right. Um, that's the thing too because it's like I think that like opportunity is one thing. But you have to be like have the – to be able to like walk the walk uh, – at that moment where you get that opportunity. Cause if I didn't have these things on my reel, then they'd be like, okay, like let's find someone else. Cause you don't have anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Uh, so it's always a combination of like right place, the right time, but it's like, you need the, you need to back it up at that when you have that chance to, you know? Yeah. You have to be repaired. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. because a lot of young filmmakers, um, usually when they like ask me questions and things like that, they, they ask, you know, how much should I charge for a video? Mm -hmm. And then, I ask them, do you have a portfolio? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they say no. Yeah. So you need to, ha like then you it's said. It's like nothing. You can yeah. charge nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like you said, you have to have things to back it up, especially yeah. for, let's say, a project that you want to do. Yeah. At least something that's at least close to where you want to be yeah. as a director. Yeah. You know, so first day on set, mm -hmm. um, filming with Pink, mm -hmm. were you intimidated at all? No, I mean, yes and no. I was I was like nervous because I was like, oh, this is like a big day where we like have these specific shots to get and like have this whole outline and like nervous just because it was like the biggest job to date I'd ever done. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but I, I, I got to know her a little bit through filming behind the scenes. So I've already been on set with her. I don't know exactly how many, but at least a couple of days. Right. And like, she was super cool. And, you know, I knew all the dancers from just previous dance stuff. Mm -hmm. And then the tour director was super cool. So it was very like, it was a very warm, welcoming environment. Nobody was like, 
like putting extra pressure on and she was super cool and it was like more of like a fun shoot it was pretty it was pretty lax even though we had like specific things to do yeah. we're in her house and it's like she wakes up she tears her house apart and then she lights it on fire so it's just like <laughs> we had fun it was a thing we could have fun with yeah. you know what i mean um so so yeah it was i i definitely remember being really nervous um but then we just sort of like got the ball going and like you know i had a couple people i had the producer you know was like pretty well experienced and the dp was like pretty experienced so i i was like let me surround myself with people that have like done all this stuff a bunch of times before uh so if i'm ever stuck i can rely on them for like for assistance or guidance or whatever Mm -hmm. uh but the day went smoothly it was it turned out great so nice yeah it was fun that's good so you know how you know what what goes into directing a successful shoot because over the time from what you learn you know filming Mm -hmm. um you know the miley videos and then working with pink and up to now what have you learned that goes into effectively directing well the thing that i learned like uh what i didn't really realize was like back then i'm like okay i want to be a director i want to be a filmmaker you know, and, and I would envision what that might mean. I'm like, okay, like I'm the guy on set, like coming up with the cool ideas, coming up with the cool shots and be like, oh, like, let's do it this way. Let's do it that way. But then when I actually became like a working director, I, that is a part of the job, but it's far more about like delegating and like managing client people, personalities. That's a huge, huge portion of it. You're really like, you're the captain of a, of a ship, not necessarily just the guy who's steering it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So like, your job is to organize crews and to stay on time and to be clear and concise in addition to like having the cool shots and the cool ideas. Um, and so that was a big realization for me. And I feel like that has contributed to my success, but also just to a successful shoot. I I've, I've asked a lot of people like, you know, uh, you know, like performers and actors and dancers, like, you know, what, like tell me about the worst shoot you had or tell me about a director that you hated working with like tell me about the problems you've had and i was like what what were the problems like why was that director so bad to work with because i'm like want to figure out why people are horrible and like okay never do that right yeah and so the number one thing that would always come up was like directors that aren't clear that are not concise that Mm. don't know what they want you know like that becomes super problematic to get a good performance out of anybody but then also it just like puts the day behind schedule and then you like the pressure's on for the crew because you're like not getting all your shots and it all stems from a director who isn't like clear and concise so that's like two things being prepared right so being prepared so you know what you're doing you know what you're trying to achieve but then also just being able to communicate well is like hugely important uh because you are the captain of the ship you need to tell each department each crew head like what to do when to do it um, yeah, there's support if you have it ADs and whatever to like help manage, but I mean, it, it really comes down to you. And so like being just super clear and concise, uh, is, is kind of key to having a good shoot on any level, you and right. a friend, you know what I mean? Like if your friend's like, what are you talking about? Like, where do you want me to put this? And you're like, Oh, maybe over there. No, try that way. Oh, maybe like, maybe we'll do this next. It's like, that's not going to be a good shoot. Mm-hmm. Or if you have 50 people, it's like, if you're not clear, you know, it's like, it's going to be a disaster. So mm-hmm. the same thing applies. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense it's because you're, you're pretty much the leader, you know, you, you take you are on, the leader. <laughs> yeah, you take on a yeah. leadership role yeah. and everyone's looking up, you know, to you to make the quick decisions when you need to. Yeah. Um, how do you deal with pressure? Cause I'm sure there's been times on set where like you have to get a shot off real quick or you're behind on schedule, you know, how do you deal with pressure in terms of making decisions? My take on, on pressure is like, 
succumbing to like fear is, is ultimately a pressure you're like worried that like you're not going to get it or something you're like scared essentially mm-hmm. right uh is that it never helps you make a decision it never puts you in a position where you're better armed to tackle the issue at hand so like i literally do my best to not have it affect me because i'm like if i start worrying or i start panicking or i start letting fear sort of take hold it only impedes my decision making ability and like and and makes it harder to actually get the job done so it, sometimes it's obviously unavoidable i mean there's pressure in all all aspects of production but yeah. it's just like the more i guess it's like it's a little different because like on set it's like you just have to make a decision and it's like time is now and like just figure it out and just like keep pushing forward and and try to just do what you can to stay on schedule and like just kind of like just drive forward to get it Mm -hmm. all done but i feel like pressure sometimes like affects you uh like leading up to a shoot when there is time to like maybe do something different or like try to like arrange things in a way that might be better or whatever and I think that, again, when you start feeling fear or pressure in, in those instances, you can sit and you can mull over it and it can like stress you out mm-hmm. or you can just try to focus on like what you actually have to do uh, and try to just retain a clear head um, and don't let it affect you as much as you can. That's kind of the way I dealt with it is ignoring it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it just like it never helps you. Like people get people get into these like cycles of like worrying about stuff mm-hmm. And I'm like, it doesn't actually help you get through it, you know? So just like figure out what you know for sure and like just try your best to like make a decision on it. And and that kind of stems to like the point of being just clear and concise and like what you want, you know? Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, you know, you just got to focus on the task at hand, how to, you know, make it better. Would you say surfing has kind of helped you as a director? It, well, yeah, in the sense of like, you know, it helps me de-stress. So like if I'm worried about a job coming up, you know, and it's like, you know, from the morning, it's like we're trying to organize details and stuff isn't lining up tonight. It's like all day, like stressful. If I go surf, it's like it just clears my head and I can come back and kind of just like retackle it sort of more in a calm kind of vibe. And that that then helps me make decisions and like have clarity on like what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so indirectly in that sense, it puts you in a better mental state to like make clear decisions because, you know, in production it can get frenetic, but then sometimes you're like, you don't have time to surf and you're just like, ah, it's got to like deal with it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, it it can definitely help. Yeah. Yeah. So your style, Mm -hmm. you know, over the years you've developed a style and kind of like a focus because I remember we were talking and you told me that you like to focus more on kind of like the glamour aspect of shoots so what kind of drew you to that well it's it's interesting because it's a little bit of like a chicken or the egg kind of a thing so like the, you know i end up i've done a bunch of beauty i've worked with a ton of female artists um and so my question is like did i did i do that did i end up doing that because i was sort of had a knack for it or or did i get good at it because i got offered those jobs and like that's now what i do you know what i mean i i'm ultimately i think it's a bit of a, a bit of both but um my style has developed in part yeah i don't know if it's in part because of the jobs i was offered or i was offered those jobs because i had that style you know i don't know Mm -hmm. um but i always i was i tried to like consciously not think about what my style was i didn't want to conceptualize it you know what i mean because i think that especially early in my career i'd like see directors stuff and like oh they have such a cool sense of style like the way they shoot these things is like so stylistic and so cool like i want that right right but i didn't want to like premeditate it because i I didn't want to 
I, I felt that being on set trying to elicit some form of a style would come off as inauthentic and like w I would feel like I was grafting someone else's thing on what I was doing mm -hmm. and that sounded like a horrible idea. Yeah. So I was like, I'd rather just not have style uh, until something sort of organically develops than like force a thing or a vibe onto my work. That doesn't mean I'm not constantly trying to think of the coolest shots I can think of. Right. But I'm just not thinking of it in terms of like how I'm going to appear stylistically as a director. You know, like obviously every shoot I'm like, oh, this would be dope. That would be dope. And at some point I just sort of realized like, okay, the things that I like style is like the things that I think are dope. You know what I mean? And like shots that I think are cool. I'm going to do them over and over in other shoots because I think that they're cool. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And I just sort of realized that over time a sense of style will develop as my career goes moves forward and it's going to be whatever it's going to be. It's just going to organically show up. And I remember I cut a reel, like it was like my second or third reel. You know, I cut a reel like every couple years or year or whatever. It's maybe like the third reel I cut after I'd done a few more jobs and I sat back and I watched it and I was like, oh, there's like, there's a style in here. Like there's, yeah. there's a vibe. And, yeah. I, and I think, I wonder maybe if people started like, I would send my reel out and people were like, oh, like you have a good style. And I was like, really? Because <laughs> like, I was just like, this is just stuff that I shot. You know what I mean? But I guess it, it comes through, you know, more evidently through people who are not so close to you, who are just viewing your work for the first time. They can see it a little clearer mm -hmm. than you because you're so close to like what you did and like all that kind of stuff. So it was just sort of a thing that I think developed over time. And beauty just happened to be a huge part of it. Yeah. Because you don't, you don't really realize, because you don't see the style that other people see oh totally it's, yeah it's, you, a different it's almost it's almost impossible it's impossible to see it you know what i mean just because like yeah it just means something totally different when you watch your own reel than when someone watches it for the first time who's never seen anything that you've directed mm -hmm. you know what i mean um i wish i could have that experience you uh -huh. know just to see what i would think of my own work having not known what my own work is you know yeah. what I, mean? I think that would be interesting but like obviously impossible uh -huh. i'm so close to everything i've done um that it, it just is like impossible. I just need to like just pick the coolest shots I think are on the reel and just yeah, go with that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you focus more on like commercial work or for the, originally or did that develop over time? Uh, it developed over time, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely more of a focus now. Like I'm not trying to do too many music videos now. Um, so I'm definitely focusing more on commercial and like agency driven work. Um, and I think that was like a focus at first. I just couldn't get any of those jobs. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, and just, I, you know, at first you're just doing whatever anybody offers you. If someone offers you a music video, you do it. If someone offers you like a digital content thing, you do it. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it just over time, I think. And I think too, like having the opportunity to work with like a bunch of like bigger name pop stars somewhat early in my career, uh, helped give you that like stamp of approval where you can like shoot other people and other things now. Like once you have pink and like Katy Perry on your reel, you can shoot any pop star. You know what I mean? It's not like, like, Oh, are you able to shoot, you know, Selena or, you know, uh, you know, I shot some, I shot Britney and like it, it once I had them on my reel, it's just like, oh, yeah, you can shoot yeah. beauty. It's fine. You know? Mm -hmm. So that, that helps. And that sort of makes you a little more commercial, which is great because I love doing commercial work. Yeah. I mean, your reel is great. I mean, I've seen a lot of your work and it's fantastic. Cool, thank you. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. So you now you're doing Glambot. Uh -huh. um, you're directing the Glambot. Yep. When did that start? So that started in 2016. It was the first Glambot I directed. 
um, which actually came from, so like you never know where you get jobs from. They always right. sort of like, it's just like in the ether somewhere and like sometimes someone pops up and gives you a call. So the producer that produced a segment, so going back to 2008 with Miley, the Miley Cyrus stuff, we did two dance videos and then she hosted the Teen Choice Awards and we did a live like dance battle performance on the Teen Choice Awards in 2008. Mm-hmm. The segment producer for that live stuff was this guy, Eddie Delbridge, who we worked with, of course, because we were working with Miley. And so we were working with him to produce our dance performance segment. Super cool guy. We totally hit it off back then. And we always just kind of stayed in touch. We'd have lunch like once a year, once every two years, mm-hmm. like just kind of stayed in touch. And he's producing a bunch of live stuff and like going along his career. And I was going along mine. And then, you know, eight years later, 2016, mm-hmm he's producing the red carpet events for E and they're looking for a director for this Glambot thing. And he's like, Oh, like Cole would be good. And uh-huh. so he called me up. We had a little meeting. I came in, I met all the execs and then they brought me on. And so it was just like, you know, eight years later from, uh, uh, you know, we worked together once and just kind of stayed in touch and like just had lunch randomly here or there, yeah. um, turned into this thing that ultimately is like redefining my career now. Uh huh. So for those that, don't know what a glam bot is. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that? Sure. Yeah. So it's a it's a high speed glamour camera on the red carpet, like main red carpet events. Uh, so we use a robotic motion control rig uh, called the Cinebolt or the Bolt uh, that moves uh, a phantom camera twenty feet in one second. And so you mm-hmm. shoot talent on the red carpet, uh, moving camera in different ways, and uh, it ends up being super slow motion. It's just this new way to see glamour and talent on the red carpet. Yeah. And so we do sort of high profile events. We do the Emmys, the Golden Globes, the Grammys and the Oscars. Um, we, we actually did the People's Choice Awards this year, which was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so, yeah, it's just like the it's this cool slow-mo glamour stuff on the red carpet. Yeah. And I like the behind the scenes that you do with it because oh, yeah, it's yeah. very cool because you don't really see what goes on behind that. Usually like before. You know, when I saw those videos mm-hmm. of like the celebrities, you know, twirling and mm-hmm. doing all that, you think it was just like a camera on a rig sure. and then it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then after seeing your behind the scenes, obviously there's more to it yeah. than just that. Yeah. You know, you have to direct, there's a crew behind it, yeah. and you want to make sure the camera doesn't hit the celebrity in the yeah. face. That is important. <laughs> that know? is important. So, you know, when directing the glam bot, um, what are like some things that you know you make sure as a director has to happen that's such a unique thing because i've been asked to like well what is it like like what what is directing the glam bot sort of like as far as other shoots and there really is nothing like it you know what i mean because town will walk up i have two minutes to do one take and like it has to be good you know what Uh i mean so it's like when jennifer lopez comes up at the oscars like i i have to nail it so they can put that on air and right. she's not going to do two takes, you know yeah. what I mean? And so it's like, it's it's kind of crazy to think that like I have, I mean, I literally think she was like 45 seconds. I have to get her on the mark. I have to get her to doing something interesting that will look good in slow motion. I have to make sure she's looking in the camera and like looking great, uh, you know, in like 40 seconds and then uh-huh. we shoot her for five seconds and then she's gone. <laughs> so like pressure is super on in, in, in that environment and there's nothing, there's nothing like it. Because if you have another shoot... Even in the shortest time, you have 10 minutes, 15 minutes with talent and and they're coming to a normal set. They're assuming they're going to do it a couple times, you Mm -hmm. know? So it's like you can sit them down. You can really explain like this is what we're going to do. This is the shot. Let's rehearse it a couple times. Okay, you do it. Okay, now let's shoot it a couple times Mm -hmm. and you do it and then they're gone. That's like the fastest version. Yeah. But here it's like they come up. 
I literally have 30 seconds to explain it. We do it and then they're gone. So yeah, it's crazy. You just have to like some, it's funny cause sometimes I'll watch the, the playback on my behind the scenes uh-huh. and like, I listen to what I say. I'm like, that didn't really make sense. You know what I mean? Like I kind of just said it weird. Yeah. You know, because it's, it's a hard thing. Like the thing is too, it's like, they don't really need to know what it is. They just need to know what to do. So if you spend time like explaining like, well, it's high speed and then it slows down and then we're going to edit it. They're like, just tell me what to do. Look here, Mm -hmm. go there, do this, you know? And so I give them a brief rundown. I tell them, high speed and slow motion just so they know that movement is good because anything that's the biggest challenge is to get them to move to do something which mm-hmm. is tough because it's like you know with with women it's like you don't want to mess your hair up or like you can't move in a lot of the dresses so that becomes a little problematic mm-hmm. and and then people don't want to look like idiots you don't want to be jumping around like looking stupid so that's sort of it's always a tough thing and that's that's i think a biggest part the biggest part of that job for me is assessing what talent is willing to do and what they're not willing to do. Because some people, they, they get up there and I'm like, oh, I know they're going to do nothing. You know what I mean? I know that they're going to sit there and look pretty and like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it's really important for me to recognize that so I don't spend time trying to get them to do something that they don't want to do and that they're not going to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and then the other thing is like, this that happens more often. So it's more about identifying that. And then sometimes if people are playful or they're fun or they're like in a good mood and they're like, oh yeah, like what do you need? Like, let's do it. Let's do a good job. I'm like, oh, well, let's jump. Let's do something crazy, yeah. you know? So identifying those moments I think is a big part of the job. And it's super subtle. It's like that is all instinct and all vibe. You know, you come up to someone comes up and you say hi and like in the first exchange or two, I need to assess like, are you cool? You want to do something? Or like, are you going to sit back, you know? Um, so a big part of the job is is figuring that out and then just telling them what i think is appropriate based off that two second interaction you know right i like that you mentioned that because part of you know being a director you have to be a people person oh yeah you know and and you know when you assess kind of like the level of each person on what they're willing and what they're not willing to do Mm -hmm. you know it makes your job easier but it also, you know, allows you not to be like forcing them to do something that they wouldn't do because yeah. you already read that. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, when you're dealing with with talent, you know, in like a high pressured situation like that, you know, what what is in like another thing that you have to keep in mind? Um... I mean, like, it's so... The pressure's so much on to just be like get a good shot and then get them out of there. It's like, yeah. there's not much going on in my mind other right. than just that. Um, I, you know, it's really just like trying to get them to like shine in a way that they're comfortable with. And that's going to work well with the glam bot. You know what I mean? And so it's, and, and it's really just like, I'm just trying to figure that out as fast as I can to tell them exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we all get something that we want. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, yeah, I don't know if there's much other than just, it's so just like, what are the fewest number of words I can say to get them to like do something that's that will work for me? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You know, to keep it moving and make sure. It yeah, because it's great. not so like, it's, it's so, it's one of those things that's just so in the moment. It's not so much like subtle or there's not like, there's not, there's no product I'm trying to sell or there's no like placement for a thing, you know, or there's no, I mean, I, there is a performance, but it's really just like, 
getting them to like shine in their own way like how can i draw that out of them Mm -hmm. you know and like also they're pros like they perform all the time like they turn it on in a second so like you know i'm i'm sort of giving myself credit like oh i need to like coax them to do a good thing like JLo, you put a camera on her. She looks amazing. So it's like, if you look at it yeah. from that way, I'm like, I'm not doing anything. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. But, you know, it's like she still needs to, like, look the right way. She needs to be True. aware of what's going on. It is dangerous. Like, that thing can knock you out. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And there are safety precautions that we have in place to make sure that that never happens. And knock on wood, thankfully, it never has. But um, it is a dangerous apparatus, you know, and people have been knocked with it. And so that is a facet, too, of the mm-hmm. whole thing. So it's a lot of things to consider. But... You know, I think we shot like 140 glam bots at the Oscars alone. Wow. And so, you know, I do this five, six hundred times a year. You get pretty good at just being like yeah. knowing what to say and of like course. and sussing people out quickly. You know what I mean? So it's been a fun it's been a fun thing to be part of for sure. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, over time, you know, what what would you say is or has been like the best or most favorite shoot that you've been on? You know, aside from the glam bot, maybe like oh. a different shoot from that hmm. <laughs> that, you, that most... you've directed. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I would have to say probably like the Katy Perry California Dreams tour content. So her first big tour for uh, the Teenage Dream album, which is like her first arena tour, um, I wrote and directed like a short film essentially that played throughout the whole concert mm-hmm. that that was act breaks in between the acts like while she ran off stage and changed there was like a video that told a storyline uh with her like falling in love with this baker boy and she like worked for this evil butcher and like this whole fun little playful story um and so i wrote that based off a voicemail i received of her sort of like rambling about what i just said like, yeah there's a baker's boy and she works at a butcher shop and she <laughs> hates her life and and so you know, I like basically I, I wrote the narrative for the concert and directed that. And that was like at the time, the biggest shoot It's like a three day shoot. We built a whole California dream set. We shot on a green screen. There was a ton of effects and it was just such a cool thing to go to the show, you know, and an arena tour, there's 15,000 people there. The first thing that they see is like the opening video that I direct. And so it reveals, it tells this little story and reveals Katie. And then she plays three songs and another video plays and she plays four songs and another video plays. And then stuff that happens on screen is tied into things that happen on set, you know? Oh. So it's like, we see all these, like she ends up in this like meat rack thing. And then all these like foam meat things come out, you know, she's in a cat suit on the screen and she comes yeah. out in a cat suit on stage. So it's like really integrated into the concert and we had three screens and we showed different content on the three screens which is like a huge pain in the ass to edit because we're like telling a story across three screens so it's like we had to edit each of the screen and then like watch them in the in like final cut all together to think about what people were looking at on stage and on the screen so it's like this huge thing super complex tied into a live performance that spanned throughout the whole two-hour concert that toured the world so I'm like, that was a pretty cool thing yeah. to be a part of and to do. Um, so, so yeah, so that, that I think was cool. And that was like, at, again, at that time, the biggest job I'd done and Katie's a sweetheart and I've ended up working with her for years. We started doing cover girl stuff after that. Um, and I have a glam bot with her, uh, just this past year at the Grammys and I hadn't probably seen her in a year or two. So uh-huh. it was like a cool reunion to see each other again yeah. and to shoot the glam bot. So like, that was really cool. Um, but I'd say, yeah, the Katie thing was like, uh, just a big substantial thing that I had a lot of creative input on 
um, and I thought ended up really cool and like had a really long life that a lot of people saw. So that was, I think, a really cool part of my career. That's awesome. Yeah. So any networking tips? Because obviously, you know, as a director um, in your career, you have to keep networking, you know, growing your networking base, things like that. Do you have any tips on what has helped you? Yeah, be, be nice. <laughs> be nice and be friendly. Um, you know, because like once you start working it's like we all do this full time you know it's like we're and like it's already stressful enough like just working if you if someone's like got a bad attitude or like a sour vibe it's like i don't have time to deal with you you know what i mean and and so there's other people that are like talented and kind that are a pleasure to work with that i enjoy seeing on set and i'm like i'd much rather work with you you know what i mean Mm. And so, and same thing goes with just like when you meet client and whoever, like be, be nice. It, it, it helps. It makes a difference. You know, um, I've, I've known people who are dicks and I've worked with dicks and I don't work with them anymore. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like, maybe they're working still. I mean, some of them are, some of them are, you know, it's like if you're super talented or have some cool niche, like sure, maybe you're still working all the power to it. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? But that's not how I think that's not how I want to operate. And that's not how uh, that's not, that doesn't help me in my career in any way. Right. So just, I mean be nice and then as far as like networking like it's a it's an aspect of your job like go out and meet people talk to people uh you know you never know too like the be nice thing is like everybody not just to execs you know but like often like pas are like the son or daughter of some big exec on set you know and if like you're nice to them uh, it stands out and like maybe something will come, maybe nothing will, but it's like just how Eddie called me eight years later. It's just like we were, I was nice to him because I liked him, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But like he called me because we just sort of like kept in touch over the years and I don't know, man. I mean, it's just like, I think that bottom line is like networking is a facet of your career that you sort of just need to do. I think people complain about it like, oh, I don't want to like this or I'm shy or I'm that. I'm like, well, be unshy because like being unshy will help you get jobs and you want jobs, right? Right. And so I think like if you want to be the best or work, like do everything you can. Like, is it better to figure out how to be unshy or is it better to not work? (laughs) You know what I mean? Right, exactly. So, but I get it. Like sometimes it's like tough. And even for me, it's like I definitely used to be shyer as an individual and being in LA and being around people who are so outgoing. I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. I like that. And I've definitely sort of like grown in that aspect. Um, So, you know, it was work for me too. But uh, yeah, just, just. Like put yourself out there and like do everything you you have to just do everything you can uh, to service your career and networking is a part of it. So like just go meet people, talk to people. You never know who can give you a job, you know who is who. So just be nice to everybody because mm-hmm. it's a much better way to live your life, in my opinion. Of course. You know, was there something that because like I know you mentioned that you were a little bit shy earlier on. Mm-hmm. Was there something that helped you get out of your shell, or did you just have to force yourself through it? A little of both. I think that for me. Um, I, I, I don't advise planning for this, but this is just sort of like how it unfolded for me. Like once, you know, like you're obviously kind of like insecure at first. You like, you don't know where your value is. You don't know like if you're going to even be able to make it in the career, in, in the, in the industry. And, and so once it was, it's sort of an interesting lesson. Like once I had something kind of substantial in my career that I could like walk into a room and like tell someone I did. I suddenly had like more confidence, you know? And so it was like the Miley thing a little bit because I'd like worked with Miley and shot a bunch of other celebrities for that. But then like the pink thing, like, oh, I did this thing, you know, and and I could walk into a room and meet someone and be like, oh, I did this thing. Like, you know, like 
they would know what it was and they would be like, oh, that's cool. Like, I know you've done something. You're not right. just someone who's done nothing, right? But the, the sort of like trick or the catch was I would walk into the room more confident. I would engage with people more confidently, but I'd never tell them. I'd never a- end up telling them. I mean, sometimes I would, sure. Mm-hmm. But like often I would engage with someone. We'd have a great conversation. I'd tell them I'm a director or whatever. I wouldn't even get to the thing that I was like felt good about. And, and I would later realize that like, you know, the confidence was just a thing that it was just for me to project myself in like a more confident way. It wasn't mm-hmm. actually that job. I wouldn't tell, I, I, it wouldn't be about, oh, I feel cool because I can tell them this. I just like felt cool because I had it in my back pocket and I, and I comported myself differently and like walked around with confidence and engaged with people confidently, which had all the benefit you know, the fact that I could sometimes go, oh, I did this thing with pink. That wasn't the thing that would ever get me a job or make me have a good, intera- a good interaction. Mm-hmm. It was my confidence that made me have that. So it's like, I, I think with, it's like whatever you can find to like feel good about yourself and just be like, yeah, like I deserve to be in the room. I deserve to have these conversations. And even if it's like, you know, just, just, just being sure of yourself, even if you've done nothing to like have a good positive interaction, like if you feel like you can add value to a conversation, that's all you really need. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be like, oh, I did all this other stuff, like all this cool stuff, which I actually think is like not the best way to network. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like meet people. And then if it comes to talking about what you've done, sure, mention it. But like, I also didn't want to be someone who came off as like braggy. You know, I I never liked that vibe. So I always err on the side of caution. But just having the confidence of knowing I've done something made my attitude change. And the attitude was like the thing that really helped. Yeah, because everyone has something unique to offer, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, whether totally. they know it or not. And they totally. do. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So what is your why? Why do you keep doing what you're doing? Oh, that's a good question. I wonder that myself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> How do I keep doing this? I mean, I think I bottom line is I still love making stuff. I love creating, you know, like the why comes in when it's like a lot of work and you're like, oh, you're grinding nonstop to do something that like seems insurmountable. You're like, why am I spending so much time? Like, I don't even know or think it's going to happen. And, and like, I think it's it's valuable. It's important to keep in mind that, you know, I think a lot of people see my career and like, oh, he's got a bunch of stuff and like he's done a bunch of stuff. I still, you know, you still have those moments of like being doubtful and being unsure, you know, that never sort of goes away. But I think that it's just important to like to remind yourself that why of like, why do you keep doing this? And it is the bottom line. I love making stuff. I love creating. I love just like getting my hands into a thing and like making something that never existed. Just like how I was when I was a kid making these like summer recap videos. Like we can all sit around and watch and be like, Oh, like this is so cool. It's like that same thing happens now with just my, you know, my work friends or my career or or even my old friends. I'll send them, you know, stuff like, Oh, I did this video. Isn't it cool? You know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that, that is just a thing that drives me still. I love making stuff and I love that I have the opportunity to do that. And I love that I, that I, I can earn a living and have a career making videos. It's to me, it still blows my mind, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So if you, you know, go back to your younger self Mm -hmm. um, and what you've learned now, you know, what advice would you have for the young Cole? Oh, to not worry so damn much. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I think we, I, well, actually, I mean, there's a couple of things. I think that this is a thing that I've, that I've thought about a bunch is that you look back on the best, best moments of your life or the best times of your life. You know, you think about these 
eras in like school or college or during this job or this period of your life and you're like when you reminisce about it you're like oh that was the best like that was the coolest moment where like everything was lined up and we we're having so much fun we we're enjoying ourselves so much but if you really think about how you felt in that moment you were like stressed about this thing or like worried about that thing or like had all this other garbage on your mind that like didn't really matter you know ask yourself like was i enjoying that moment the way I view it in retrospect. And for me, the answer is always no. It's always like, oh, I was worried about this random crap or this other thing, or like I had all this other stuff on my mind. I was like, spent so much time worrying about this thing that like didn't even like pan out, you know? And so I, I think that like uh, what I would tell myself and even what I'm trying to do now is like really enjoy those moments like they're the best moments or like, like these are the moments that you're gonna remember. Cause I know that for me, like right now, I'm going to look back when I don't live at the beach anymore, when I'm not like surfing all the time, when I'm not sort of like carefree, loving my career, I'm going to be like, oh, that, those years when I lived by the beach in Santa Monica, like those were the best days of my life. And so, but now I'm like, oh, I got to like send this email and like worry about this thing, you know? So it's a really, I think important um, to try to just appreciate where you're at. And even in the struggle, like there's millions of things I want to do and want to accomplish and things I want to achieve, but, and then I'm not there yet. But like, it's still important for me to like enjoy this time right now because I think it's it's valuable and I'll, and I'll inevitably look back on it and be like, oh yeah, that was dope. So I'm trying to like get that vibe right now, you know? Yeah, well said. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah. So what's in it for your future? Uh, I mean, like shifting out of short form is like the main goal for me. So moving into like long form narrative is, is a focus. Uh, I've been writing a bunch, working on feature length scripts. Uh, developing TV show ideas, like doing as much as I can to make that jump into like long form narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. And it's like one of those things where it's like, I always find the parallels interesting where, you know, there's obviously we're like in different places, but we're on the same axis for me. Like, I don't know how to make a feature. I've never made a feature. I don't know mm-hmm. like how to get funding for it. I don't know how to do all these things to like make that happen. In the same way that someone who's like just picking up a camera for the same day is like, I don't know how to get a job filming something. I don't know how to like start a career in making videos. You know what I mean? Uh, we're in different levels, but like the same kind of thing. We're still figuring out like the next step. The next step is for them to get a first job. The next step is for me to get my first feature. Um, and I don't know how to do it. You know what I mean? So it's like, we're still always dealing with those same concerns. Uh, just in different places, but that's that's where I'm at. I like want to start my career as this long form narrative storyteller, uh, and so just doing everything I can to try to figure it out. Nice. Yeah. You just gotta take the leap. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. It. Yeah, man. Well, that's it. Cool. I appreciate you oh, yeah. being on the podcast. Cool. Yeah. Thanks again. I mean, I learned a lot myself, and oh, you cool. provided a great insight on yourself and your career, and hopefully, you know, those listening will benefit from this. I'm sure they will. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Thanks for having me. I love talking about just like this kind of thing and approaching your career. I, I, I think about it a lot. So, so it's good to share my thoughts. Awesome. Oh yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'll be placing Cole's social media links in the show notes so you can stay connected. And if you know someone that can benefit from this, please share it. So thanks again for joining in. And until next time, I'll see you in the next episode. Peace.